it's a, it's a holiday, right? So I want to know, what is like the weirdest thing that you do with your family on the holidays? Like a tradition of some sort, right? Like something that you find yourself, maybe it's like tr- uh, Christmas or Thanksgiving or like 4th of July, something, a tradition uh, or something that you just end up doing and you're not sure why you do it, but you're kind of doing it every time you're together and no one else seems to be doing that thing at that time. I want you to think of that thing. I want you to share with your neighbor. All right, now that you all know how weird your neighbor and your neighbor's family is, I, uh, I read an article this week in The Atlantic about a, a guy whose wife's grandfather, he started this tradition on Christmas where he serves his family a breakfast smoothie made up of eggs and bacon and toast and orange juice mixed together. Anyone hungry? And, uh, and when asked about it, the grandpa said that, here's the deal, Christmas has too many good things to look forward to. There needs to be something that we don't look forward to. That's what he said. I'm like, that's like the greatest grandpa ever, right? And so the, the family's actually continued this tradition, right? Like eating or drinking or whatever you do with a smoothie, a breakfast smoothie that's disgusting on Christmas every year, and each year more disgusting than the last. This is, uh, this is my Uncle Brad and uh, a picture of Fohawk Austin from high school. Um, yeah, that's my shirt. I wore that in senior pictures, my open house. Like, that is my shirt, you know? Um, so that's my Uncle Brad. My Uncle Brad, he, he's a cool guy. He does not make us drink disgusting breakfast smoothies on Christmas, okay? He's a cool guy. He's, he's kind of obsessed with Star Wars and movies and really, like, entertainment in general, right? And so I don't know when it started exactly, but at some point in my childhood, uh, on Christmas, Thanksgiving holidays, when we were together as a family, uh, there would be times where Brad would sort of, like, commandeer the Comcast, like, Xfinity, like, on-demand remote thing that looked like this, right? You guys remember that? And it had, like, that button, that on-demand, right? And it had like movies and shows that you, if you missed and you didn't record it or whatever, right? And it had a little spot for like movie trailers. You could click it and it'd have like a ton of movie trailers. And Brad would like get this remote and like it was like all the power in the world, right? And we'd be watching like not just like one or two movie trailers. Brad would start playing like five, 10, sometimes 15 movie trailers. And he'd be telling us about the actors and the background and the production, like all this stuff. And we'd like eat it up, right? Like it was so fun. Like we sometimes Christmas things, we wouldn't even watch an actual movie. We'd just sit and watch movie trailer after after movie trailer and get all, pumped, get all pumped about the movie that we were going to see whenever it came out, right? Because movie trailers are amazing. Do we have any fans of movie trailers in the room? Yeah. Like, the people raising their hand, those are the people that are like, all right, guys, movie starts in five minutes. We got to get in the car. We got to get the candy. We got to get to the movie on time because I cannot miss my movie trailers. I'm paying for those things too, right? Those people. Movie trailers are amazing. They give us a glimpse of a whole world, and they pull us into it, and they invite us to be part of something amazing. There are uh, an, an entire category of shows and awards for movie trailers now, like a separate ceremony, like the Grammys or whatever, just for movie trailers. Just uh, a few weeks ago, the uh, Spider-Man trailer that came out, uh, some of you were like, oh yeah, Spider-Man, I've watched that 30 times already. Yeah, well guess what? It set the global record. It set the record for most amount of views in 24 hours. It was 355 million global views. I think that my Uncle Brad and Jordan and Freddie made up like half of those, okay? <laughs> Movie trailers are amazing. They give us a glimpse into this world. They pull us in and they invite us to be part of something amazing. Now, our lives should be like a movie trailer. Movie trailers are the short version of the whole thing, right? They, they show people a world and they make people say, I want to see that movie. I want to be part of that thing that is happening. 
And if we're doing our job faithfully as a church and as Christians, our lives should be like a movie trailer, like a preview, a taster of what it looks like to love and to follow Jesus, a glimpse into the hope and the life and the fullness of the kingdom of God. And when people see it, they say, I want in. Like, I want to see what world they come from, and I want to be a part of it. Over the last few weeks, we've journeyed through this series called Shock the World, right? As as Christians, we're called to live lives that are questionable, lives that, that make people raise their eyebrows and wonder what's different about that person. As Christians, we're called to live lives that shock the world with the hope and the life of Jesus. And we've started this journey to shocking the world with a couple of simple things, a couple of simple practices, right? Blessing others with words of affirmation and acts of kindness and gifts. And then we talked about inviting others into our home, into our table, and sharing hospitality. We've talked about how the importance of inviting others into our church community. And then last week, Torin talked on the importance of studying God's word and studying the life of Jesus. And we've challenged each other to, to commit to those things in the week. A simple way that we say, yeah, we're going to live with and for Jesus and shock the world with the hope and the life of Jesus. And this morning, we wrap that series up by kind of reflecting on those things and considering a shared identity that we all possess. We are sent ones. If you have a pulse this morning, if you're with us or if you're online, I want you to just say with me, I am a sent one. I am a sent one. Say it again. I am a sent one. That's right. Will you turn in your Bibles to John chapter 20, verses 19 through 23. John chapter 20, verse 19 through 23. And as you turn there, just a little bit of context. Just before the passage that we're going to read this morning, Jesus has resurrected. Jesus has resurrected and he's appeared to Mary Magdalene, one of his closest and most trusted friends. And Mary has gone to the disciples and she's tried to tell them about Jesus, that she saw Jesus and the disciples are like, nah, we're not having it. That's hocus pocus. Like they think Jesus' body's maybe been stolen. And so they're in a house in a room locked and they are full of fear as to what's going to happen next. And we pick up there in the story in chapter 20, verse 19. If you'll read with me, it says this. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord, and again Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. This is the word of the Lord. So there's a couple of things to notice in that text, right? First, the time and the setting. The author makes it very clear that this takes place on the first day of the week. Now, just like Today, back then, the first day of the week represents something new, right? Something fresh. So the writer is wanting to alert the reader to the fact that something fresh, something new is upon us within the narrative that we're about to experience. And we'll we'll talk more about this later. 
Also notice that the doors are locked, right? It says the disciples are in this house and the doors are locked and they're full of fear. Their leader has been killed and he's, in their minds, he's like full dead, right? He's full dead and they have lost hope and they're fearful that what has happened to Jesus is soon going to happen to them. And so they're locked in a room full of fear as to what's going to happen next. But then... All of a sudden, like mysteriously, like poof, boom, pow, Jesus is like right in front of them, right? And Jesus greets them with this phrase. He says, peace be with you. He actually repeats this phrase, peace be with you. And the use of this phrase in this, in this instance, is, it's ironic, it's kind of hilarious. You see, the phrase peace be with you was a very standard, very casual greeting in the Greek or Hebrew world. It would be like me coming to you and saying, hey, good afternoon, or hey, how are you doing? Peace be with you, right? So Jesus comes to the, the first time he sees the disciples after he's risen from the dead, and you would expect him to be like, behold, it is me, Jesus. I have risen from the dead, right? But instead, Jesus just bounces up in there, and he's like, oh, hey, guys, what's up? Peace be with you, right? I think it's actually this beautiful illustration, and it has an incredible way of summarizing the life and the essence of Jesus and his work. It's the, the supernatural, all this crazy stuff infused into just like the ordinary life, right? It's resurrection infused into peace be with you. So after Jesus says this, he shows the disciples his, his hands and his side, right? And then he says to the disciples, I am sending you. And this isn't just like a casual sending. Jesus says to the disciples that you will forgive sins. The sins you forgive will be forgiven. The sins you don't won't be forgiven. In other words, Jesus is saying to the disciples, I am sending you with the very authority of God. Jesus says, I am sending you. Now, before Jesus sends the disciples, there's a couple of things that take place in the passage. It's where I want to focus on this morning. You see, I think there's three things that take place before Jesus sends the disciples. And I think that the text this morning wants to speak to us and for us through those things. You see, before Jesus sends the disciples, Jesus breaks the chains and the locks of fear. Before Jesus sends the disciples, he reminds or he shows, he proves that he is who he says he is, that he is real. And finally, Jesus reminds them that he has not left them, that he is faithful, and that he keeps his promises. Here's the deal. There are some of us in the room this morning, I think, that feel like the disciples. Like we feel like we are locked in a room full of fear. Fear as to what's going to happen next. Maybe we've lost our jobs. Or maybe we wish we would have lost our jobs because we're so miserable in our jobs and we're so fearful of what's going to happen next. Maybe we've been kicked out of our apartment or our house or our living situation. Maybe we've received a terrifying diagnosis. Maybe we are so scared of the pandemic, the virus or the vaccine, how it's going to affect us and the others that we love. We feel like we are locked in a room full of fear. I think there are others of us in this same room, but it's not fear that's locking them in, it's, it's shame. 
We're locked in this room. We feel ashamed at what we've done or what we've been or what we've said. We're stuck in this habit. We can't seem to get out of it. We can't seem to kick it. We just keep turning back and back and back into this habit. Or or maybe we've gone for a few months, for a few years now, walking down a path of life that we never intended. And we're turning around and we're saying, how did I get here? I'm so ashamed at what I've done. I'm so ashamed at what I've been. I'm so ashamed at what I've said. And we feel like we're locked in this room full of shame. And we have no idea how to get out. And we're even less certain that God even wants us out. Sorry, my knuckle cracked. Did you guys hear that? And some of us are in this room, and it's not full of shame. It's not full of fear. It's apathy that's keeping us in there. Just this overwhelming indifference. We feel like we've been locked in this way of living our lives for so long that we have no idea how to even get out of it. When we think about this Jesus stuff, when we think about this shock the world stuff, we get pumped, we get excited, but then we realize, no, 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 I've lived my life so long this way. It's been so disastrously wonderful and normal, and I don't know how to really get out of it. I feel locked in this room full of apathy. But I want you to hear this this morning. Jesus wants to break every chain and lock of fear or shame or apathy and grant you with his peace and his presence this morning. And no amount of shame, no amount of fear, no amount of apathy can stop that. I mean, notice what the text says. It doesn't, or notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say that Jesus actually broke the locks. Like Jesus was just in there. It's almost as if the text is saying today that Jesus doesn't need to break the locks. Jesus doesn't need to break the barriers because for Jesus, those don't exist. Like no amount of fear or shame or apathy can stop his peace and his presence entering lives. And some of us need to hear that this morning. Then there are others of us. We just need proof that Jesus is real. Like we need proof that he is who he says he is. Like maybe we've doubted Jesus our whole lives. Our friends talk about Jesus like, yeah, right, whatever. We've never been to church. This is like our first time here. Somehow someone dragged us here. They promised brunch afterwards or something. And we're here and we've doubted Jesus our whole lives. And we're like, Jesus, really? Like, show me that you're real. I don't believe you. Or maybe, maybe we've been coming to church like every Sunday our entire lives. Like church, Sunday, church, Sunday. Just something that we do. We don't really follow Jesus. We don't really love Jesus. We don't really feel like Jesus has impacted our lives. And we're not really sure if Jesus even matters. And we're like, Jesus, show me that you're real. Like, show me that you are who you say you are. I want you to hear this this morning. Jesus wants to show you his hands and his side and prove to you that he is real, that he is who he says he is. He wants to do that this morning. I think some of us need to hear that this morning. And then there's this last group of us. And this group, I think, just need to be reminded that Jesus has not left us, that Jesus is faithful and that Jesus keeps his promises. There's maybe some of us who, maybe we just started this following Jesus stuff. We just got baptized or we just prayed a prayer. We just did this thing. We're like, yeah, I want to follow Jesus. I want to shock the world. I'm going to do all this stuff. But nothing feels different. All the things that were promised, like nothing's changed. And we're unsure. How is Jesus going to use me? How does Jesus want to live life with me? Like, I don't get it. I don't know what's going on. 
Or maybe we've been following Jesus for a long, long time, but for the last little while, it feels like Jesus has left us. Like the things that he promised, his peace, his presence, his power, his healing, are gone and they are nowhere to be found. In John's gospel, Jesus promised the disciples his peace. He promised the disciples his peace. He would tell them about all these things that were going to happen. And then he said, but don't worry, my peace is going to be with you. And when Jesus enters the room, he says, peace be with you. What he's telling the disciples is, I have not left you. I am faithful. I keep my promises. And I think some of us this morning need to hear this. Jesus wants to repeat the phrase, peace be with you, over and over again in your life to remind you time and time again that he has not left you, that he is faithful, and that he keeps his promises. Some of us need to hear that this morning. So after all this, after Jesus breaks the chains and the locks of fear, he, he shows proof that he is who he says he is, and he reminds them that he's faithful and that he keeps his promises. Jesus says, I am sending you. And as the scriptures come alive together in the church, I think Jesus wants to say the same thing to each and every single one of us this morning. I am sending you. I am sending you into your workplaces and I'm sending you into your classrooms. I'm sending you into your neighborhoods and your coffee shops and your gyms and all the other places where you live and you work and you play. I am sending you. I'm sending you to experience my peace and my presence, to live a life that's different, to do in others' lives what I have done for you. I'm sending you to shock the world with the hope and the life of Jesus. I am sending you. If you have a pulse this morning, if you're with us or online, I want you to say, Jesus is sending me. Jesus is sending me. Say it again. Jesus is sending me. After Jesus sends the disciples, there's this last little bit, this last verse or two. Jesus, it says, the text says that Jesus breathed on them and then he said, you'll receive the Holy Spirit, you'll forgive sins, and all this stuff that makes sense, right? But if you're like me, you're like, wait, 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 back it up, back it up. Jesus breathed on them. What, like, what's going on? Like, why is Jesus breathing on the disciples? Has he brushed his teeth since this whole resurrection thing? Like, why is Jesus breathing on the disciples? What is going on here, right? One of, uh, one of my favorite movies, I realize I say that like every time I teach, one of my favorite movies, but for real, this is like one of my favorite movies, okay? Uh, it's called Arrival, right? It's this sci-fi thriller sort of movie. Um, yeah, it's awesome. And uh, it's, it's really, it's about like these aliens that kind of mysteriously show up on earth, right? But really, it's a movie about uh, time and relationships and love and loss. And it's like, it's beautiful, right? It's so good. Uh, parents, if you're like, maybe we should check it out, it's PG-13, all right, so check out that parental guide before you go watching it, uh, but uh, it's, it's, an, it's an incredible and, and beautiful movie, and it's, it kind of messes with your mind, it's one of those where uh, the beginning of the movie, the scene from the beginning is almost identical to the scene from the end, and when you watch it, and that's not a spoiler, I promise, okay, so when you watch it for the first time, you're like, it, it, the first scene jumps, and then it's like into like the plot of the movie, and you're like watching it, and you're like, wait, 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 hold up, like when is that scene from the beginning going to matter? Like when is that going to make sense? Like what was that about? 
And then as the movie continues and you get to the end and you see that same identical scene, the end of the movie has a way of kind of retelling the story from the very beginning. And as you watch this movie over and over again, like I have sometimes, um, you notice that the end of the movie has this way of offering an entire new perspective on the beginning and the entire story of the entire movie. It's a whole new perspective and depth. That's kind of what's happening here in John's gospel through this simple little line, Jesus breathed on them. Here's what I mean. The Greek and Hebrew word for breath or wind or spirit is all the same word. It's not the same in Greek and in Hebrew. It's the same in Greek, breath, wind, spirit, and it's the same in Hebrew, breath, wind, spirit, right? Something else that you have to know about John's gospel, this, the passage we're reading is from John's gospel this morning. Lock this away, like write it in your Bible or something. John's gospel is like super intense, very obviously trying to retell the story of creation through Jesus. Okay, like John's gospel is insistent that Jesus is making all things new. That Jesus is part of this new creation. Okay, that's why John's gospel starts with the phrase, in the beginning. It's the same way that the, book, the first book in the Bible, Genesis, begins. In the beginning. Like John's gospel is like, hey, listen up. Something new is happening. Like there's a new creation through this Jesus thing. And that's why this breath thing matters. You see, in Genesis, in the very beginning of the story, in chapter 3, verse 8, Adam and Eve, they've sinned. And the text says that, that as Adam and Eve, they've sinned, that God is walking, trying to find them, God is walking in the cool of the day. And this phrase, in the cool of the day, is translated from, from the word used to describe wind, breath, and spirit. In other words, Adam and Eve, they, 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 saw, they saw, they heard the wind or the breath or the spirit of God, and the text says that they hid from it. But here, in John's gospel, thousands of years later, a different wind sweeps through the room, a different breath, a different spirit. It's the breath of Jesus. It's the wind that has a way of, that, it's the wind that's the end of the story that has a way of retelling the story from the very beginning. It's the wind, it's the breath, it's the healing breath of God's spirit through the mouth of Jesus breathed on the disciples. Friends, God is doing new things. God is retelling our stories. He's rebuilding and restoring our lives and he's breathing the breath of life into us. When Jesus breathes that breath on the disciples, he does it to breathe new life into them. He does it to break chains of fear. He does it to show proof that he is who he says he is and he does it to remind them that he is faithful, that he keeps his promises and he does it to send them as his disciples. And he wants to do the same thing this morning. God is doing new things through Jesus in our lives, retelling our stories, rebuilding, restoring our lives, and breathing the very breath of life into us. And what God has done and is doing for us, God wants to do for others through us. You see, we are sent ones. Church, if we want to shock the world with the hope and the life of Jesus, we must begin to identify, we must begin to claim our identity as a sent one. If we're going to shock the world with the hope and the life of Jesus, we must as a church begin to claim this identity that we are 
sent ones. And so we're going to move into a time of worship and response. And we're actually going to have an opportunity this morning to claim our identity as a sent one. You each were given a piece of paper and a pen when you walked in this morning. And in our time of worship, in our time of response, you're going to have an opportunity. An opportunity to say yes. To step up and step out and say, yes, I want to live a life that's different. I want to live a life that shocks the world with the hope and the life of Jesus. I want to claim my identity as a sent one. And if that's you this morning, I want you to do a couple things as we begin to worship. I want you to take that piece of paper, I want you to take that pen, and I want you to write your name on it. Our names are our identity. And if you want to say yes this morning, you don't have to do it now as we worship. I want you to write your name on that piece of paper, and then I want you to bring it forward. You see, we have four tables here this morning. And each table represents one of the things, one of the simple little steps that we've taken over the past few weeks to say we're going to live our lives with and for Jesus. We're going to shock the world with the hope and the life of Jesus. We are sent ones. And so this morning, I want to invite you to come forward with that piece of paper, with that name on it, with your identity. And I want to ask you, I want to invite you to place that piece of paper with your name on it on one of these tables. The table of the thing, the simple step that you want to commit to this fall. To live a life that is different. To shock the world with the hope and the life of Jesus. To claim your identity as a sent one. So we've got four tables. On the far right, we have a table for blessing. Blessing others with acts of kindness, with words of affirmation, with gifts. If you feel like that's the thing you want to commit to this fall, to live a life that's different, to shock the world with the hope and life of Jesus, and to claim your identity as a sent one, I want you to bring your paper forward, and I want you to place it on that table. This second table. This table represents invitation to a meal, extending hospitality, sharing a meal with others, others who maybe don't attend TLC. And if that's the thing you want to commit to this fall, to shock the world with the hope and the life of Jesus, I want to invite you to bring that paper forward and drop it on that table. Then we have our third table. And this table represents inviting others into our church community to sit under our vine and our fig tree. And if that's the thing you want to commit to this fall, to live a life that's different, to shock the world with the hope and the life of Jesus, I want you to bring that paper forward and put it on that table. And then the last table, that table represents the study of God's word and the life of Jesus. Torin taught on this last Sunday. And if that's the thing that you want to commit to, to live a life that's different, to shock the world, and to claim your identity as a sent one, I want to invite you to bring that paper forward and drop it on that table. Hear this this morning. This time is not about what we've done or what we haven't done. It's not about checking a box off that, oh, shoot, I forgot to do that one. It's not about how perfect or imperfect we are. This time is about us claiming our identity, writing our name down, and acknowledging our desire as a church and as a people to live a life that's different, to shock the world with the hope and the life of Jesus, and together to say we claim our identity as a sent one. That's what this time is about. Because when you bring your paper forward, you'll do so quietly. 
But make no mistake. You're saying something. When you bring that piece of paper with your name on it and you drop it on one of these tables, you're saying, I am going to live differently. I am going to live a life that is questionable. I am going to live a life that makes people raise their eyebrows and wonder what is different about that person. I am going to live a life that shocks the world with the hope and the life of Jesus. And most importantly this morning, you're saying, I am a sent one. And this morning, I claim that identity. If you're online with us this morning, I invite you to do the very same thing. Pull out a piece of paper, write it, put it on your fridge or your mirror or whatever it is. As we move into this time of response and worship, I invite you. We have a a prayer area over here, a, a group of people that would love to pray with you as we respond, as we worship, as we claim our identity as a sent one. But know this, church, you are a sent one. And you are not sent by just anybody. You are sent by Jesus Christ the son of the living God who rules and reigns now and forevermore and who shocks the world in ways that we couldn't possibly ask or imagine. And then crazily enough, he invites and empowers us to do the same. That's who we are, church. Let's claim that this morning. Let's claim that this fall.